1: Up, let your wise
2: rise up, see the signs of the times. If it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up when salmon claims millions, when
3: peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Partus with new abolitionist and actionist Johannan Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is July sixth, two thousand and sixteen. Only two days after celebrating our Independence Day. The murder of Alton Sterling, the request by Dylan Roos attorneys to drop all charges, the 99th officer of the year sentenced to 30 years for working with a gun cartel, the National Prison Labor Strike, the attempt by the DOJ to reduce prison numbers instead of prisoners, and so much more. We'll go through this week's collection of stories, articles, and events with an abolitionist perspective. If you'd like to share a comment or question, call in and join us at 1-641-715-3660. The access code is five four nine, 32 Just press star 6 and 1 to queue up from the conference line. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is 43-year-old William Richards, who was released from prison on June 21st, 2016, and on June 28, 2016, the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office dismissed the charges. He spent 20 years in prison as an innocent man. Our abolitionist in profile is Elijah Parish Lovejoy, 1802-1837. A native of Albion, Maine, was murdered in Alton, Illinois, by a pro-slavery mob, on November 7th, 1837, while defending his right to promote the abolition of slavery in the United States. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty Reed? What's up, Johanny?
0: Um, I'm doing okay, man. I'm just real, real busy. Um uh, just just uh, trying to, uh, what do they call it, uh, multitask. I'm a multitasking, man, trying to get these reports out. Your yet to uh, join us, though. um, you're
3: the king of multicasting brother you always got 27 different things going on simultaneously you need a crew behind you man and I look forward to the day that you are leading uh, a huge station radio TV whatever it may be with many employees working under your tutelage
0: well that may may happen Uh, me and my daughter are going to get together and launch a for-profit media company not going to stop doing what we're doing through the Black Talk Media Project which she's learning now in the background, um and what have you. But uh that you know, that may become a reality, man. You know, just doing the math and just the web hosting and internet radio hosting, that kind that business man, uh some of those companies doing like you know, five million a year, ten million a year, some doing as much as fifty million a year. And it's um and so it it's something that I happen to stumble upon and um I see great potential in.
3: Right, right. I could see that happening. Uh you could even uh make new abolitionist radio a uh a write off, like a, uh, something that you do uh, not for profit and make it a write off, the expenses of it.
0: Right. actually I already had a corporation I just suspended it uh, for now but I could reactivate it but I had started a media corporation years ago man when my daughters were still little girls because it was named after them Ariana Tech and so I'm going to just reactivate that corporation man and do pretty much what I'm doing through the Black Talk Media Project but in a for profit capacity
3: awesome awesome man I've had a kind of a stressful day today, man uh, I've been pissed off and, and angry at circumstances You know, the Alton Sterling circumstances, for instance It's really, I'm just tired of this, man How many yeah. snuff films do I have to witness in my lifetime? I mean, how many? We, we watch these police shoot the man point blank While holding him down and using the standard that they always use Is stop resisting uh, Don't reach for my gun Nobody's reaching for your gun, nobody's resisting Those are just code words that make it excusable Once you kill somebody And we saw it with Alton Sterling this week And then I had another conversation With somebody who's casual friend And they were explaining to me White guy How speaking of black aut- uh, Autonomy Is divisive and I'm like, you know, you don't say that about Vermont, where it's 95 percent white people. You don't say that about Dakota. You don't say about Utah. But if we want to put something that's 95 percent black people. There's a problem. So as long as you're doing it, it's okay. But the moment we open our mouths about it, it's divisive. Well, the media,
0: the media has long portrayed black nationalism or black nationalists as, you know, a evil a movement, a violent movement, a racist movement, even, you know, Malcolm, you you know, people should realize how they was demonized in the Nation of Islam back in the day, Marcus Garvey's organization back in the day, and, and what have you. But, you know, I don't see how it's offensive. You may not agree with, you know, the ideal of black people uh, wanting to, to, in this country, carve out a safe space in this country and call it their own and you know, like if we move into enough states and the state constitution allows secession and we have the votes because we the dominant, you know, the majority population in those states, then you know, hey, you may not agree with it. I don't see how you could be offended by it. If that offends you, then Israel should offend you. Yeah,
3: people are very selective about what they're offended by and you know the irony of it all to even open your mouth and say something like that when it already exists but it exists for the other side of the fence and you act like it don't I mean you're living in a state that's 95% white saying black people shouldn't have their own space (laughs) it just doesn't oh my god does the logic escape people (laughs) man so, yeah, that has me uh, burnt. And, you know, I, I often get hit with the how I should codify my language to be more appealing to the uh, white listeners and stuff like that. And I, I don't see I, – I, I, I can't do that, man. I'm keeping the same thing. I'm saying the same thing. I don't care what color you are. I don't care if you're on the moon listening. I'm going to tell you the exact same thing that I would tell the cats in the hood or the people in the White House. All the same thing. I'm not trying to appeal to any particular race, creed, color, or religion. This is not a black thing. It's a human rights violation, where millions of people are losing their lives, their freedoms, and everything behind what you're doing right now. It's, it's crazy, It's just again, I. I mean, it's like it's like it's
0: like some people try to confuse white nationalism, which is expressed through neo-Nazi. Movements, as expressed by you know Hitler and the Nazis, the Aryan Nation, and all of that, and so some people, and it's you know they just confused, and they that's on by design, um, and they're confused, and they don't realize that black nationalism or any talk about black separation is because of racism and white supremacy. It's not, you know what I'm saying? It's a reaction. You know, we could say it's reactionary. But it's just people who have given up on the so-called American dream. And they are like, you're not ever going to stop mistreating black people. So we want to, you know, be among ourselves and and what have you. And so that's a whole lot different than what the neo-Nazis are about or the white nationalist organizations or the Ku Klux Klan. Whole entirely different. The black nationalism is a result of white terrorism
3: Our purpose is not necessarily To build our own kingdom Our purpose is to, to avoid genocide We're finding out how we can Get away from people that want to kill us Every single day Like they did Alton Sterling Like they do hundreds of names This year alone In just six months 115 black men have been Killed by police Just this in six months Well, how, how many about-
0: other people don't Max See that's another thing that strategically, and I'm st- I'm speaking strategically now. If you're trying to elicit some kind of sympathy from the system, well, you know that's a lost cause or anything. Or uh, if they're not going to feel any kind of sympathy, but if you're trying to force some kind of reform even though I'm for abolishing the slave patrols and what have you but if you're even talking about reform you can't point to the black bodies, you gotta point to all the bodies, you gotta point to the Hispanic bodies, you gotta point to the white bodies, you gotta point to the Asian bodies, I'm talking strategically speaking from a propaganda perspective and knowing that when black people get killed it elicits very very little sympathy in fact it might be provi- not might be but I know it's providing entertainment these snuff films for a lot of people and what have you so so we have to deinstinct you know uh, strategically we can't do the same things over and over it don't work and so I'm just talking purely from a propaganda perspective that's why I respect what cop block does and in those other cop watching groups, because they focus on everybody. Now, I know this is a black radio station and what have you, and, and of course, you know, black people are first and foremost on our mind, but I'm talking about battlefield strategy. I'm talking about if you're going to exist, if you're trying to reform something within the current system that just pointing to black people is not going to elicit any sympathy it hasn't in hundreds of years and I don't suspect mm. it's going to tomorrow no matter how many times you say black lives matter uh, I think we got Yohanan on welcome home Yohanan
4: peace peace can y'all hear me yeah we can hear you right on yeah, don't listen to the on. conversation I mean it just uh, just the thing man Uh, I respect what what you're saying, Scotty, as far as, you know, just even looking at it from from an ally standpoint, but you're not going to get too many allies when you have nothing to bring to the table, you know, as as a a force of your own. You know, there's nobody that's going to ally with you other than looking at you as a sympathy case. So, you know, as a community, we've got to get serious about funneling these funds. Like, we just spent, you know, a billion dollars and literally burned it up on fireworks, you know, we just literally did that again, another year. That billion dollars put, you know, even a quarter of that. I mean, a, a percentage of that. To be honest with you, put in some kind of a local political effort to, to back somebody, to help somebody make sure they get their campaign, you know, handled, to make sure somebody knows that they've got a spot in, in that elected office that has power to, you know, make law changes, to to exonerate, you know, innocent people, to make uh, heavy-handed changes that don't reflect reform, but actual ending policies or prosecuting uh, law, you know, uh, illegal uh, terrorist cops. I mean, anything that we need, anyone spoke on the wheel that we need to have addressed. It, all it takes for us to have is a respectable uh, uh, little little honeypot. That's all it takes. Asian people are not allying with anybody else necessarily They come here and mind their own business But they send their people here with funds to start business With uh, They protect one another's businesses They protect one another's neighborhoods They uh, come together and, pu- and push forward political candidates And then keep them in office when they address their personal agendas uh, The Italian-American communities I mean, various uh, nationalities some can fold into the larger white communities, but there are some that are absolutely people of color. And other than black folks, a lot of these people will put money into the system to create some kind of a, a base of power. And then if they need to align with somebody else, right. they already got something to bring to the table. Right, right. Well, black folks are sitting up here tripping, man. Now,
0: I was not speaking in terms of aligning with anybody, but I would, but hear what you're saying, and I agree with it wholeheartedly. Who wants to align with somebody who ain't organized or prepared to do what it? Uh, takes to obtain true freedom not the fox freedom not that fake freedom but real freedom so who wants to align with you when when you are looking to hillary clinton or some other politician to solve a problem that they created that's the hate dialect right there you know create a problem then come to the people like you got the solution when you created the problem to begin with But I was speaking in terms of just propaganda. Like, if we set up a Facebook page, don't nobody know if I'm white or black. You know what I'm saying? And I'm pushing out propaganda, highlighting the victims, uh, white victims or any other victims, and I'm targeting that towards that specific demographic because I don't believe they really know the extent of the number of white people who are being killed and as long as they think that it's just us then they don't care I'm talking about the average the majority and I'm talking on science this ain't my opinion uh, scientific research has shown that white people have very low empathy for non-white people. So I'm speaking science. So if you want to mobilize them against the the uh, enemy, see, right now, many of these All Lives Matter folks, they see themselves as aligned with the government or, the, well, really, a lot of them are, are are contradicting themselves. They They scream about the federal government, which the federal government is corrupt. Um, but they align themselves with local police departments and don't see those local police departments as an extension of the federal government, who's funding them to do slag catching in in in, in right ticket and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just I was just not talking about, but from a covert propaganda standpoint, don't nobody know if I set up a website that say all <laughs> all white all lives matter God, and then actually
3: I, used a white guy's image. On Twitter, in order to uh do these things, man you no, awesome
0: not on twitter on about. on change dot org and yeah. on some other um and on my disc comment stuff, yes, I do use the image of a white person. So they'll treat right, me right. like I'm white.
3: You, you, know, you know what you're doing. You're trained through the military in communications and propaganda and things like that. So I'm not knocking it all. You know, we all have our talents, and, and, and we're capable of doing different things. Me, I'm just stubborn, and that seemed to be one of my talents, you know what I mean? Just plain old stubborn. As a matter of fact, the reason that a brother asked me recently, Brother Malefi, about uh, you coming to the Human Rights Conference in 2016 in October was because of your capabilities and expertise. Um, hopefully we can get you out in the future once you start getting everything together with as you said assistance
0: and help well, uh, most certainly and and since you mentioned that you know because you did send me you know the, the, the uh, invitation to go speak at a conference and I've gotten other invitations but I am literally the staff of Black Talk Media Project other than the volunteer host that we have you know uh, I am the staff so I'm tired to this I can't leave I can't leave I can leave the house you know when we're not doing live programming but you know we're trying to build up the station where we got live programming every day and then you know I have clients so I can't leave but speaking of that I had sent you an invitation I hope the person's listening uh, that was referred to me who was looking for a speaker to come down there to Waller County Texas is that where Sandra Bland got killed is that Waller county or is that uh i'm th- is that where that uh crazy Waller county well where that crazy sheriff had the shotgun on YouTube threatening black people? I think that might be it, but anyway, it's in Texas, and they're looking for a speaker to come down there to talk to the people and fire the people up these are their exact words about the dangers <laughs> of the jail in that county and the jail system and and high praise on poor people. And I told them, you know, same thing. I just got through saying I'm unable to travel. So, but Max travels all the time. And so, if you know, you, you saying that you'll pay for the travel and lodging and all of that and an honorarium, Max is the person. And so I sent them a couple of your videos, man. But they was like uh, saying, do I know somebody else who might be a little bit more? I'm like saying to myself, ain't nobody more knowledgeable then the issue of 21st century slavery in America and how the jail system fits into that. Ain't nobody got the statistical data uh, memorized in his brain than Max Parthas other than maybe myself and Johanna. So I, I hope they will reconsider and they'll have you come down there.
3: Maybe they wanted somebody of a different complexion. Because you know that is, that is issue. possible. I, I thought about that.
0: I thought about that and that's a possibility, <coughs> but I wasn't gonna say that because I don't know. But I do know that you are one of the premier abolitionists in not only this country but the world.
3: Well, thank you, brother. It's just only like you and Johanan, I decided I wanted to know more. And there's not a lot of people that have done that. It's really just that simple. A lot of people have not decided that they want to know more. And once you start finding things out, you start realizing you've got to replace a lot of stuff that you already thought you knew. And you've got to put in new stuff now, which leads out to other aspects of your life. And you grow with it.
0: Hey, guys, before we jump off into uh, another segment, we do have a call. So we're going to take this call from Area Code. I think that's 817. Uh, you sure heard your mic unmute. Go ahead with your question or comment. Thank you for joining us.
5: Well, good evening, brothers, and thank you so much for being ah, here. Sister tonight. DJ, what's I'm, happening? I'm I'm needy. I'm I'm this last one this 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 one that came Austin's out. 30, 30. I'm I'm 30. just I'm real needy. Mm.
3: What so can, you, can we do for you, my sister?
5: Just keep talking. If we oh, can I just keep that. talking and keep trying to hold each other up i mean max i've been doing this for 33 years i don't think i've ever been fallen in the way that i fell at one o'clock this morning uh, with this news report and my question all day ringing in my head has really been and i want to i want to say uh uh a uh, shout out to the good brother Scotty Reed hey scotty hey sis uh, my my question is has been all day long how do we survive state sanctioned executions as ap Because I think we're just at the beginning of the wave. I don't think we're at the end of it. I think we're at the beginning. And I think that we don't have a mechanism, some instrumentation to help our brothers and sisters get through it and protect. No one is serving and protecting us.
0: I'm going to say this, sister, uh, BJ. BJ um the things that we need to do to survive what you're talking about and you know remember this has been continuous since you know uh the slave patrols the earliest formations of police departments they've been praying and killing black folks Forever on this country before this nation was even created in 1775. So they, they you know, they've been doing that. But I do see possibly there going to be an escalation. And what do we do to stop that? In in order to survive that, well, sister, just to keep it real and also express what I've heard some other people say today, um, we can't talk about on these airwaves what we yeah have I, to I, do. I,
5: I I I get that, mm-hmm. but at the same time. Scotty, and I think that was Scotty speaking. Yes, ma'am. Uh, at at the same time, um, here is my my fear. I've been in this thing for a long time. I don't remember a day of my life that I wasn't doing of the race for the race. I don't remember. And I'm talking about my childhood, too. I know what fear does to a community and I think that one of the things that we have to prepare our the warriors the soldiers have to prepare our people for is to not be a victim of the genocide to be a victor in outside of the genocide and yep. We don't have the same kind of mechanisms. You all know I'm up here in, in on the North Plantation in Boston.
3: Boston, yep.
5: And we have generations of people who see the who who cannot make the connections, who are not connecting the dot dots. Because it is so unbelievable, you the three of us, we know this history. I live this history. I grew up in the Jim so uh, mm-hmm. Jim Crow South, where the laws were signs on the walls. so what I'm saying is and 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 what they've done in I mean the technology the new the new kind of divide and conquer in which they have been so good at over the last 25 years, has so divided and so dispersed us. Gentrification, uh, Section 8 choice vouchers where, you know, no, you can't get an apartment in Boston, but you can get an apartment over there in do Wadi, do Wadi down in the marshlands. You see what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. And, and they played on the artificial turf of inner race class so what I'm asking and I am telling you I have I I I, I've seen some videos and I was so shaken by the blatant hatred and disdain that caused that cop to pull that trigger In that man's chest. Deliberate. Deliberate murder. Yes. And I know when I think of Freddie Gray and his family, when I think of Tamir Rice and his family and all the others and the lies and the incomplete investigations, the Department of Justice is not going to save us. And and I think that one of the things that happened to me with this particular one, Max, is that yes, I ma- have a 15-year-old grandson. I have a 4-year-old grandson. They have friends. We have family friends. And they are so vulnerable. And we cannot hide them away.
3: Yeah, you fear the law of averages. Yes. Just like we all do. Uh you know, i I just had a granddaughter myself a couple days ago. My oldest son had one and I've got another one.
5: I did see her. She was beautiful.
3: Yep. Yeah, and I've got another one coming any day now. Literally my oldest daughter is in labor right now and I've already lost two sons, so I know what the law of averages do does. Yes. You know, yes. you ask some questions, I, I would like to have an opportunity to just give my answer on them what I think. Somebody talked to me recently and said that we should be providing more hope on this program, giving people more reason to hope. Well, I would say that because we're here is reason for hope. There wasn't an abolitionist movement five years ago. There is one now, and that is a reason for hope. It means freedom is coming, and if you want to know what's going to happen in the future, all you got to do is look at the past. We're repeating it over and over again. We're going to come to a point where there's going to be blood, and, and we want to avoid that. We want to avoid that. And the way to avoid that, which we have pushed uh, on this program over and over again, is simple in four steps. Four simple, easy steps, but we got to be willing to take those steps. The first step is to end slavery. Stop pretending like it don't exist. Let's face the fact that slavery is here, that it's legal. And we need to end it, and then make a move to end it. And then after we end slavery, we free over a million people who are unjustly incarcerated. Get those people their freedom. Don't they deserve it? You got yours. Why shouldn't they have theirs? So that's step two. And then step three is move towards reparations and reconciliation. Let's agree that we caused this problem together and we need to solve it and fix it and pay for it together. And then once we get reparations and reconciliation, if we want to, that's our choice, we can move towards black autonomy. As I said earlier, there's states with 95% whites, but we can have some place to call safe. Of our own When history has shown us That every time we build something of our own You burn it down and destroy us And kill us And all these different things From Rosewood to Tulsa, Oklahoma We just want to save space So those four things are very easy to follow That's what I feel is the answer And uh, I'm not speaking for anybody else I I try not to do that I speak for just myself But I think that if we do those things That will solve most of our problems Because most of the issues we face from genocide to mass incarceration are because of this.
0: Johanna, yeah. Yo, um, before mm-hmm. we go to our break and we have another caller in queue, caller, I see you, but Johanna, did you want to respond uh, um, before we go to our break?
4: Just mirroring what Max was saying, I mean, that those four steps are going to be in peace to you, Mother. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, uh, your, your concern and your question, you know, is Of course, heartbreaking to understand, you know, how it has affected you and especially seeing all that you've seen and being through all that you've been through. Um, But, I mean, just like what Max was saying, I mean, first things first, we have to get to a point where we can actually come to agreement that slavery did not end. Our people have been on some kind of an extended Holiday for 150 years, and and uh, <laughs> they've been celebrating
0: majority. Juneteenth, man, for 150 yeah, there's years. there's a there's
4: a great majority, you know, that we're finding as we dig into the history, and we saw 12 years of slave. There's a great majority of black folks who were free before the Civil War that were on a holiday of some sort, and plenty that was on plantations, and just because they got a few extra rations, just because they got a a, a pair of shoes from masses, you know trash heap that had a sole on it It was on a vacation. I mean it's the minutiae of these little one up games that we play in our own heads and tell ourselves that we're not at war all the way up through our collective belief system that says because we have these token people in positions of power, you know we've got. The academics like the the Henry Louis Gates And the uh, Dysons or what have you You've got the entertainers You know Oprah got a network uh, What's his face had a studio for however long So they you know we're making it We got religious leaders and political Political figures and police chiefs And we got the attorneys general And we got all these people that are figureheads That look like we're making it somehow But Clearly we're not making any change Because as you said it's just as many dying now As it ever has been Yeah
5: but here, here is where I'm going with the black truth. The black truth is that we have to create our own reckoning in the same way that we have to create our own village to protect our children, to educate our children, to have them understand that this is a continuum this is the continuum of genocide and extradition from this country of our people you never hear young people talking about our people i say it with such pride and i understand it spiritually i understand it culturally and i understand it politically and the first reckoning has got to come with just what you just talked about and that Mm -hmm. is the talking heads who distort the picture Deliberately and in their own
3: interest. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, you're absolutely right. You know, I, I also want to let people know where to find more about you, BJ. Our common ground with Janice Grant. Uh, you can check her out there. Every week she does a program, and uh, I've been out it myself. As a matter of fact, I was one on your thirtieth. Uh, we're gonna to go to a break, and when we come back, uh, we'll you, take some of the final kind of comments you had and our next caller. Thank you, Sister BJ. If you're listening to the Live Listless Radio, we'll be right back after these messages.
0: Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses.
3: Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. This is Max Farkas. I'm here with Scotty Reed and Johanna and Elias, And we just had Sister Janice uh, Graham from Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And uh, we have another caller online, I believe, as well. Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Please state your name, comment, or question.
6: Hey, fellas, how you doing? Uh Sam from South Florida. Checking in. Peace.
3: Welcome so. Welcome back. Hey, Welcome. Um,
6: <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Um, I was listening to what the last caller said, and you know, I I I feel her, I feel her fear because I see it going on around me, and I just I understand it's too prone, but for 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 my generation, if I I come up at and it's the the guys that I know, the black people that I know, the disconnect is so is so supreme that. I mean, the only thing that the only thing that they know is when it happened to their families. Then the light come on. So I I know, I know. I hope it don't come to this, but my spirit know that it's gonna take blood. Only way these people are gonna change. I, I I saw that image. I saw what happened to the young man. But to me, um, uh, I didn't get disconnected like like uh, emotionally because I'm seeing it too much. I disconnected it, bec- like my spirit because. I already know they hate us. You can't. I don't care who who say what or whatever. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, white people that you know that don't hate us. That feel what we feel. But my generation, my my people that I see, they uh, they so lost that the only thing is that the only thing that makes them turn around is blood. So I feel what she's saying. by nobody. The people that we're seeing, they're not waking up. It's like the, Don't you think seein', seeing this Scotty's
0: seeing, don't you think that's by design? Yeah, from
6: the food to the medication. To but the, what the about the music the programming?
0: Product. What kind of music are these young people <laughs> listening to that you talking about that's so disconnected?
6: Young Thugs and Young Dro and Jeezy and Playa.
0: And and for the people that don't know, brother Sin, tell tell. uh, Did we lose brother Sin?
4: It sounded like he might have like faded off.
0: Okay, no, I still okay. We still got him. And what kind of music do they make? Those those particular artists (laughs) you talking about? They
6: they make they make. Of course, you know what kind of music they make. It makes street music that we call uh, street music, but that they understand as. Uh, it's not even music to them. It's just degradation. We we degrade in ourselves, and that's the type of music they listen to. I don't crucify them because not only have I listened, to, do I listen to that music? I created it. You know what I mean? I have made music myself. I made music. But the thing is, I understand what it is. That's pain music. I don't care. They talking about killing, killing the next brother or their mom getting all cracked. They in pain. They don't even realize they in pain, and mm. so that's what's coming out. The, the, like you said, Scotty, the, the music is a big part, and the disconnect is so great. Only blood wakes them up, and and mm-hmm. and, and it's got to be blood in a way where they see somebody getting killed with impunity that don't look like them for no reason that they can you know that they can understand. Mm-hmm. I'm telling, I, I I talk to a lot of people. You know what I mean? I try and I, I show them brochure Well, things that I made up for the um for you guys program. I tell them about the cows. I tell them about whoever was listening. Have the open. I talk. I put it on my sites and everything. And the same, I'm getting the same responses from most of our my generation. Is that I don't care. You know what I mean. I'm eating, I'm getting money. Um, and you not well. uh, uh,
0: for the people that don't know, sin you not no young buck out there. You in your thirties.
6: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm thirty. am i I'm gonna be forty. But here again, we have. I grew up in this so much. I refuse to wear a suit. I probably should. I, I should have be been in suits and ties and college shirts. I refuse because my spirit has been trained to rebel so bad against this system that I, now I know what it is. But before, I didn't know. So, dress, the pants hanging low, all that because where I came from, that symbolized respect. They've tricked us so bad that, man, I don't know what's gonna, what, it, what it is, but we need a full-course Hundred percent working type of thing that reconnects them with, hey man, they've been doing us, they've been doing us to the, to us uh, in this way for like a hundred and fifty years, and before that they was doing it in the blatant way. I don't, I, I don't know how to do it, but
3: it was just a different system. Need. It wasn't
6: even less blatant. This as blatant today as it blatant. was then. It was just a different system. It was a different system. Was, no, same system, but it worked in a different way. I, I think.
3: Yeah. Yes.
6: Yeah. But I mean I'm about to get I'm going to get off because I want to hear you guys I want to hear everything you guys got to say but I just want to chime in on what the last caller said we need a four course system of reconnect to that especially with our young people and I consider young 50 and younger 60 and younger nowadays mm-hmm. you guys are younger than me you know what i mean you guys are you might not be my generation generation but you guys are young and we I we we need a four course system so appreciate you guys i love you guys i'm gonna sit back and listen and uh
0: thanks for taking my call thank you welcome again we appreciate you man hey do me um before we do that let me clear the callers
5: q and aq is cleared control
0: of it let me make sure your unmuted um, that way I can better control. I'm still what? here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're unmuted. All right. So uh, anybody else uh, want to chime back in, even if you chimed in before, that's cool. You can still chime in if we talk about something and, and you have a strong uh, a point to make or a story to share. Um, but just hit star six and one. Uh, let me give out that phone number. It is 3660. The participant code is five four nine zero, three, two pound. And they're star six and one to come in on air. You can use that web-based flash phone from anywhere in the world and make a free call. Uh, you just need your headsets uh, for your computer. Um, before, before we move on to the next story, and I know we kind of like in free flow right now and that's cool. Even if we don't get to all our stories, we will po- post them to New Abolitionist Radio Facebook page. But this killing you know listening listening to sister BJ speak on how it affected her and she you know grew up seeing this type of stuff and in, in just this particular image but it all I also noticed man that it may have uh, radicalized my daughter one of my daughters my oldest daughters um, you know, she listens because her room is right next to the studio, so she hear him. You know, uh, us all the time anyway. But I don't think it was really sinking in. Um, even though you know, I would say she's more conscious than people her age. But she showed me on her phone a painting that somebody posted of of um a cop on his knees in his uniform uh, with a person uh, standing behind him cutting his throat like a ISIS type, you know, type thing, man. And so when I see propaganda like that, that's a sign, man. People should take that as a sign that people are getting tired. And so my daughter was like, I understand exactly how the person felt when they painted this and, and what have you with this corrupt system. And, and then her, she can't believe Hillary Clinton's be still being allowed to run. So her eyes are being open. But I think that this killing Um, because she brought it up to me. um, And I think this killing has possibly pushed her over that edge, man, a a militancy.
4: Well, if I could say uh, to this, um, since I heard about it, you know, the first postings and first reports, I even started hearing about it. You know, I, I try to go by my gut. But my, as the old folks used to say, my first mind. Just I feel I'm a man of faith. I feel my spirit, you know, is led one way or another. And I try to look at that from a strategic standpoint, not, not emotional. You know, I try to not acknowledge emotional directives that that come to mind, because I know emotions are, are very rarely going to yield any kind of tangible results. You know, I don't want to feel better. I want the situation to be better. Um, You know, I don't want to feel a certain way. I want an actual, you know, change. And uh, in my spirit with this thing, from the first hearing of it, one of the first thoughts I had about it was, what if we stopped giving people their, their day of being the great tragic story of this, you know, happening again because it seems like that's helping to perpetuate the overall kind of uh blow it off attitude that folks have, you know, a few weeks after it's gone or after the first cop gets off, you know, from his trial or whatever. I mean, we're seeing a little bit more of a stream of consciousness from the time when the incident happens, like with Freddie Gray, up to when the court case comes, you know, and watching the whole cycle of it like it has taken so much to educate people just to realize all of what the cycle is going to be. And like with this, though, it just seems to me that every time somebody makes the headlines, is when a majority of people care. And like you said, this is a, over a hundred black folks that's already been killed, and a few hundred white folks, and dozens of all kinds of races. I mean, we're we're in the you know going to be well over the thousands again of people being murdered by police extrajudiciously. So. I just wonder, like, is giving people their day in the sun and kind of rubbing them on the back and telling them it's going to be okay and we got your back, but then don't nobody ever do anything to change how they think or change how they act, how they spend their money, how they patrol their own neighborhoods, do anything. They just keep going business as usual, running back and forth to work, go to the store, spend your money, check the check, you know, smoke, drink, screw church on Sunday, whatever, till somebody else dies. And I, I just wonder, like, what 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 would be a big change that would make people just be like, yeah, we can't do it like that no more. We actually have to try to do something God, different.
3: You're looking for the theory of everything, like, literally, dude. If
4: that answer was easily available, we would definitely have it out by now, I think. Yeah. But you see what I mean, though. Like, I just, I'm tired of giving people the hype up and some kind of a hope based in things that are not tangible. I, I just don't I don't subscribe to that. I can't keep giving people this fleeting hope that something's going to change, and we haven't changed. No, you're not doing anything differently. The police are still doing everything they've been doing since 1620. They're doing everything they have been doing since they were literally slave catchers with badges on their chest that said slave catcher is what they're doing right now. Raping, robbing, murdering, kidnapping, enslaving, beating, mocking, terrorizing, shooting, setting on fire, hanging, whatever is they have ever done. One of the answers, I guess, would be in the
3: first story that I wanted to, to put across about the differences in our opinions, uh, racially speaking, that came out from the posts where they gave six... Ways six eye-opening facts about how differently black and white people uh, view racial uh, tension in America. How they see race in America, and, and there's some stark differences, but there is a pattern that you can see clearly if you're looking for it. Um, unless you have anything else to to, to add on that point, I'll, I'll
4: share it with you. Got it. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, this first story
3: comes out from, as I said, the HuffPost, and I uh, gave you the title, and let's just get right into it. They say there's six uh, very different things. The first one, most white people believe the country should do more to achieve racial equality, while less than half of white people say enough has already been done. This study from the Pew, uh, Pew Research, uh, let me get the title up here, this study came from the Pew Research study, and it was released Monday uh, says that 88% of black people think that the goal for racial equality requires more work while about half 43% are skeptical that changes will actually come about when compared to whites although 40% are hopeful that the country will continue to work towards giving black people equal rights as whites while 38 percent believe that the country has already made the necessary changes so you're talking about four out of ten think everything's perfectly fine just the way it is that's a very large chunk of white america that believes that and you're talking about uh, almost nine out of ten blacks are saying no there's a problem hey. that needs to be addressed but those four out of ten are saying hey that problem was solved back when Martin Luther King ended slavery.
0: Hey, let me let me Number look two. at this from a, a military perspective. All right, in terms of uh, troops. Now, how many white people did you say thinks more needs to be done to, however they phrased
3: it, forty percent? Uh Half 43 percent are skeptical that changes will actually come about. Uh, 40 percent are hopeful that the country continue to work towards giving back. Okay, so that's rights.
0: that's 43 percent that's acknowledging that racism still exists. That's a, right. that's that right there is a huge number right there. You're talking about 43 percent of what about 200 million, a little bit over 200 million. <laughs> yeah, 200 now, million. Okay. now you put that 40 percent with the 88 percent. Uh, the black folks and and so that ain't even including you know the other than indigenous folks that ain't including hispanics or other non-white folks because some hispanics are do classify themselves as white and they look white but you know but um the ones that are more melanated that's not even including them it seems to me there is a majority that knows that there is a system called racism, white supremacy, in place, also known as slavery, in place, and they just don't have the will to do anything about it. Like I was listening to a Cold Breakers last night, or I was engineering their program and li- obviously listening to them, and they mentioned something that Mr. Fuller said about that that the people who have the power to end racism don't have the will to end it, and the ones who have the will don't have the power, and so I would say the 88% of us. Uh, while do I would not say we don't have any power, we're just too disorganized to manifest any kind of power or whatnot. And so I don't want to go that far in saying that. But that 40% of uh, 43% of the white folks, man, uh, um, you know y'all must really not feel that strongly about it because I would think that 40% of 200 million people could make some things happen in this country, uh, in addition to, you know, the non white people that want to end it too. So those those are just my thoughts on it. It's, it's pretty pathetic, man, the apathy that we see. These are people acknowledging a problem exists, but they too apathetic to do anything about it. I'm not talking about the individual here or the individual there or this group or that group. I'm talking about I'm talking about potentially what, forty percent of two hundred uh uh a uh, uh, million So we talking about 80 million people right That's a lot of damn people
4: Hmm. It says to me that um, It's a lot of people that know how to answer a survey Politically in a politically correct manner But their lives and their actions don't reflect You know what they checked off on a multiple choice uh, Questionnaire uh, Just like you know people that are the targets of the terrorism Don't their lives don't reflect Talking about black people uh in law, you know for the most part, don't uh their lives don't reflect that they really believe what they will say if somebody puts a microphone in their face or when a celebrity uh gets on stage and says something that gets them emotionally charged or when a politician gives them a nod and comes to their church and sits in the choir on a Sunday. And, you know all these different little token emotional things that people do that make them answer a certain way. But their actions just don't reflect it. We don't believe it's real. They don't believe it really hurts. And everybody just keeps putting their money where they put their money and just keep going. I mean, when you feel like your persecution comes like say from nature, then you can deal with that. You know, you can kind of figure out how to get in out the sun or when when you live in a low lying area that floods, you plan for these things, you know, whatever. You can figure it out when it's you. But when you think it's another man doing something to you. That's supposed to make you want to fight back against that And say I'm not going to let some other person take my peace, Take my chance at life I only got one life You're not going to just rule me And just keep me from being able to, to enjoy all the fruits of it But for some reason We're in a situation where people just look at it And answer it quiz And say yeah I believe it's a problem And then they go right on back to their job That is, that is fully integrated into modern day slavery For the most part
3: there's a couple of statistics in that first thing that uh really are profound. One is a sense of hopelessness and the other is a sense of hope. Let's talk about the sense of hope. Uh our country has made the changes needed to give blacks equal rights with whites. That's the question that was asked in this questionnaire. Of those uh who are African American, only eight percent said that's true. Whereas Nearly 40% of the whites who were asked said that's true. Then in the opposite, the hopelessness area, which we see that growing now, 43% of blacks believe our country will not make the changes needed to give blacks equal rights to whites, and 11% of whites believe that, that it won't happen, that they won't do it. Almost half the black people in in this study said, no, it's not going to happen. That is not a sense of hope.
0: Let me add the insanity of it, okay? This is the insanity of it. And this is not something that I just came up with or thought about. I did just think about it, but Malcolm X said it. He was like, you know, this is the government. They're looking to the government. The question is, is you know, is assuming that the government can or has the will to do anything about it. You know what I'm saying, and the government is the main source of the institutional racism. you know what I'm saying? I mean the way this government, if you think of this government as Uncle Sam, a physical being, an entity, and all the non white people he killing all over the planet, and I don't see I don't see a majority of of anyone, white, black, or whatever, raising hell about all of this loss of life, all of this gun running and and what's going on in all these other places across you know the waters and what and what have you so the insanity is is that You, the question is getting you to think that the government can do something about it, like they can pass a law and make. Well, to me, there are enough laws on the book, even though they have ruled some stuff back. But the solution to the problem is for everybody to stop tolerating racism. First, stop practicing racism. If you're a white person, stop practicing racism. Start with you. The power of one. Start with yourself. All right. Then start with your household and your children. OK, and so you make sure y'all not practicing racism, but then you got to take that other step. You can't tolerate other people around you practicing racism. So that means that when you see somebody practicing racism against somebody on the job and you know where the evidence at and this person didn't file a complaint and they need somebody to step up as a you got to step up, you got to step up. I mean, that just reminds me uh, of this white dude on on a uh, a corporate plantation job I had telling me that the other white supervisor, because I was a supervisor, was sabotaging my work and hiding stuff and trying to slow me down and and what have you. And when I said, well, you willing to go to, uh, you know, our section chief? Uh, and, and tell him this because you know, I'm having to call him early in the morning sometimes and wake him up because I'm working third shift. And so, you was he willing to do that? Hell no, he wasn't. No, uh, well, what the hell you tell me for then? You know what I'm saying? What you tell me for? So, that's how you stop racism. You don't look to the government to stop it, you stop practicing racism yourself. You, you teach, you you know, you stop people in your household from practicing it. And then outside of your house, when you see people practicing racism, you stop them. All right. And, and, and that goes for us as well. We can't be on jobs and then, you know, seeing that, you know, we're in management and then we see other managers, white managers practicing racism. But we don't say nothing because we don't want to lose that. A sixty thousand dollar a year job, hundred thousand dollar, two hundred. I got them Porsche payments. I got a a, a five hundred thousand dollar house and, and all. So I'm I'm you know what I'm saying. So that helps racism perpetuate as well. All right, because we ain't as black people. That that's not unity. You can't talk about no black unity in the community and you not willing to stand up and take risk yourself to oppose racism. So when everybody, a majority of people say, I'm going to stop practicing racism, I'm going to stop being a proxy for racism, and we're going to all stand up against racism in every little instance that it happens, then we will see some progress. Otherwise, stop looking to the government that's the number one purveyor of institutional racism on the planet as if they going to solve the problem because they're not.
3: I agree. Hey, Johan, can you uh, help me out with something? I'm having some serious issues putting anything on New Abolitionist Radio site. And as you know, while we talk, I usually put the links up to what we're speaking about. If you can do that for me, I'd appreciate it, bro. There's about three stories I really want to get out in the air today, if it's at all possible. We have many more than three, as always. But there's at least three that I particularly like to get out. Of course, the Alton Sterling case. Um, I'd like to discuss that. I would also like to discuss the uh, officer of the year who's doing 30 years in prison now after providing guns to drug cartels. You know, this is uh, so many officers of the year uh, that we've seen go through this. Yeah, let's uh, hit hit that one,
0: because that one is of particular interest to me. Uh, We've already talked about, you know, the brother. uh, We spent the whole half hour talking about uh, his case, which is not unlike many other cases and many more to come. You know, until somebody, enough people stand up and say no more. And, and there's some retaliation or, or some justice. Let me put it that way. Some justice. The only thing that can un, 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 uh, overcome injustice is justice. So, but that story, given the spectacle that, was, uh, that occurred in the U.S. House of Representatives for this gun control type stuff, and i am said that you can't stop, you are not going to stop the flow of guns on the street or through the marketplace, or nowhere else. So you just beating your head against a wall. It's not going to happen. And I think that story, when we come back on the other side of the break, with this former officer of the year, perfectly illustrates that point.
3: Indeed, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio, where we're discussing modern day slavery and human trafficking right here on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back after these messages. Thank you.
0: Black Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. you are tuned in to black talk radio new black media
3: for the new millennium peace and welcome back to new abolitionist radio uh we were just previously discussing the uh, new Pew study they came out to show the differences between blacks and whites and what we think of racial justice in the United States and the one thing I didn't get to mention that I noticed is that there's a pattern throughout there and it's based on beliefs and feelings it's not based on facts or hard numbers it's not based on truth it's based on what people think and feel and we really need to get away from that and start looking at the truth of the matter because when you're basing Life and death decisions Are emotions And what you think without any kind of knowledge Or what you feel Based on your limited experiences Then that's necessarily going to Taint your opinions And decisions and they're really just not Going to be worth even mentioning You need to get educated So we find that I found that when it comes to race relations It's often based on emotions What you think and you feel And you ignore their truth Stop ignoring the truth. Okay, well, our next story, as Scotty said, is uh, the officer of the Year sentenced to 30 years in prison after providing guns to the uh, drug cartel. Scotty, would you like to read that?
0: Um, most certainly I would. Uh, let me pull it up. It is the first story you had posted. Uh, this is from the com. Officer of the Year sentenced to 30 years in prison after providing Uh, guns to drug cartels and this was published on the last day of June. Um, Convicted on drug conspiracy and gun charges, a former officer of the year was sentenced Wednesday to more than 30 years in prison after supplying assault rifles and sensitive information to his co-conspirators including senior cartel leaders in Mexico. Besides providing firearms, pepper spray, bulletproof vests, luxury vehicles and police scanner radios to Los Zetas, Cartel members, the ex-cop from Texas, also participated in distributing cocaine from Louisiana to New York since 2006. On September 3rd, 2014, Efren uh, Grimaldo, the nephew of Houston police officer Noel Juarez, was sentenced to 33 years in federal prison after caught smuggling 1.8. Uh, 64 kilograms of cocaine throughout the southern United States and East Coast. See, that's just my black people ain't the ones bringing this dope in in our communities. On June 24, 2014, Efren's brother, Sergio Grimado, was extradited from Mexico and later charged along with Officer Juarez for participating in a conspiracy to distribute five or more kilograms of cocaine. Juarez was also charged in a separate conspiracy to possess firearms and furtherance of a drug trafficking crime. And um, this will be the last uh, paragraph, and y'all can read the rest uh, posted to New Abolitionist Radio. In April 2015, video surface of Juarez. This is the cop illegally selling firearms and sensitive information to government informants posing as major drug traffickers. In March of 2011, a hidden camera recorded Juarez selling assault rifles to an informant. A second video recorded in July 2011 revealed Juarez running license plates through the Houston Police Department. Shout out to um, the uh, Huey P. Newton Gun Club down there in Houston and the new Black Panther Party um, uh, wing down there um, but uh, he was uh, seen running through the license plate of so this database for an undercover informant who told the cop that the plate numbers belong to people who owe him 800000 and drug money. He was fired, obviously, after he was arrested. Juarez was convicted earlier this year for a conspiracy to possess and distribute five kilograms or more of cocaine and a separate conspiracy to possess firearms and furtherance of a drug trafficking offense. And on Wednesday, the disgraced ex-cop was sentenced to 365 months in federal prison for his role in the drug uh, conspiracy. So... This is why uh, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, led by a um, uh, retired Major Neil Franklin, retired Maryland uh, state police officer, former Baltimore police officer who now leads this organization of former cops, prison guards, judges, attorneys, and what have you, um, everybody who works in the criminal justice system, who, who, this, they say this is why you have to legalize drugs, because cops we'll do this it's just too much temptation too much money and you will never stop it now as I was reading that I was just thinking about some other things now okay again what stood out to me black people ain't smuggling this dope into our communities okay we're not doing that right. um um the other thing was was that um the other thing was that where did he possibly get this idea from? Maybe he got it from the Drug Enforcement Agency who cut a deal with the Los Zetas rival. Uh, uh, What's the one uh, Guzman belonged to? What's, what's the name of that, that group, the Sinaloa Drug Cartel? Sinaloa. Yeah, Sinaloa. Sinaloa. Yeah, so, you know, the DEA had a similar deal with the uh, Sinaloa Drug Cartel. Uh, they had an agreement to allow them to smuggle dope from Mexico all the way to Chicago, and then they was distributed it from Chicago to other places. Now, also, they probably was uh, getting them guns that both the Bush administration and the Obama administration and the ATF, a gun-walking scheme of letting all these rifles go across the border with these straw man purchases, then... Uh, Allowing all these weapons to get on the street and then uh, tracing them to uh, cartels by the murder victims. So you even depending on somebody to get killed by these weapons that you allowed to walk across this. board. we're talking about the U.S. government now. All right. So this one cop, you know, let's look at it in a total context. They went after him. He just a token. He just didn't get approval. From his supervisors, from the, the feds. He didn't get approval from whoever in our government is behind all this drug running and, and gun trafficking. He didn't, see, he was on a rogue operation. But, you see, if he had perhaps, you know, with the word for the DEA or whatnot, then, you know, he could do that. He could do that. But, I mean, just think about this, people. Think about this is the system you want to save. This is the system that we think we can reform and, and think it's just a few bad apples here or a few bad apples there. It is everywhere. And the old, you know, R&B song, you know, uh, uh, one apple can spoil the whole doggone bunch. So this is just how we, you're not going to stop gun running because the government runs guns. Rogue police officers run. run. You're not going to stop the drug dealing and because they don't want to stop it. If, these pe- if there's no crime they are out of jobs they don't have any slaves to catch cause there you know are no pe- there are, is no plantation to put slaves on so they create it, again this is the Hegelian dialect create a problem and act like somebody else is behind the problem but you really behind the problem And then you come to you wait for the people to demand a solution and then you come in with that solution but it's not really a solution but it's a managed you know we're going to reform it you know so I, I, I feel you brothers when y'all be talking about it. it ain't you know reform what you can't reform slavery
3: there's a couple of things that really stood out from me here one first thing right off the bat is I've said it before but there's a terrible echo right now Anyway, the first thing is, as I said before, police are the worst judges of characters ever. And we expect them to be able to detect and uh, find the crimes happening around them. Well, right here on this program, we have reported on somewhere like two dozen officers of the year involved in drug running, uh, prostitution, you name it. But they were officers of the year in major cities like New York and Houston and Chicago. Ago. So these are the people we expect to be able to detect the crimes that are going on when the crimes are right happening right there in front of them to their number one people who are, are perpetuating them and they don't even freaking know it. The other thing is the word "epic" comes to mind when I think about what was found uh, among this cop and his family. He's being charged with distributing five kilograms. You. On one single occasion was caught smuggling sixteen hundred and forty kilograms of cocaine that was going throughout all of the southern states uh east uh, and the entire East coast. Do you know what sixteen hundred and forty kilograms of coke looks like? Put it in one room and have a look at it and imagine that that's one occasion. How many, how much drugs did this cop of the year assist in running throughout the entire South and East Coast? And how many people have died behind that? How many people went to prison being accused of drug selling when the drugs themselves were coming from the cop? This is epic. This is like on an epic scale. 1,640 kilograms on one occasion. Anyway, I just wanted to point out those two things. It's huge. You don't have to believe me. Google it. Cop of the year busted four. You'll get pages of it. (laughs) Pages. Hey,
0: Google DEA Sinaloa drug cartel. This is indeed... I mean, these things were pleaded out in a court in Chicago where just two low-level middlemen, so to speak, went to jail for maybe five or seven years. This is after tons of dope has been smuggled and who knows how many guns and what have you but they got seven years I guess to keep that that was the plea deal of course they didn't go for a trial where all this evidence could come out and they could say well I was doing it I had the agreement uh, Michelle Lionheart, isn't she the head of the Drug Enforcement Agency? Uh, her boss signed off on it, President Obama, or uh, you know what I'm saying. So no, they plead. That's why they only got seven years. They pleaded because they didn't want the government role in this to come out. But it came out though. It still came out in, in a Mexican uh, paper, or large, the largest paper in Mexico is the one that really broke the story during the investigation on their side. Of the border, And then it was confirmed over here. Did Michelle Lionheart get brought up on charges or anything? No, no, no. This is epic. Mm-hmm. It's epic. That's why I brought it up. This is more epic than just one rogue cop or or however they trying to portray it. Right. You know, when we got uh, United States Marines over there in Afghanistan guarding poppy fields. Why do you think all these white people uh uh overdosing on that good heroin they're getting straight from Afghanistan. That's how deep it is. so don't talk to me about well, if they hadn't have been on the corner uh uh selling- jo- these are people that are seeking out impoverished, hopeless people going to communities where where you know you know these are extreme impoverished areas, and they go after kids that are 12 13 years old and and they recruit them I seen this when I was in, in you know lived in Detroit and I was in a middle class neighborhood but these dope dealers would drive by in these nice cars and throwing out a uh, bag fulls or uh, making it rain they were making it rain in 1979 before you know uh um uh, this modern mod, making it rain up in the club that's how they recruited young kids were making it rain in the hood all right and so that's how, and, and then you, and then like, you know, I'm thinking of Clarence, uh, the brother, he just got pardoned recently and he wasn't even selling dope. He knew somebody who sold dope and then this informant asked him, you know somebody sell dope? Yeah, my homeboy at home, I'll I give you his number. That's the hookup. That was all Clarence Rowe was in it. He got life in prison. He the only one that got life in prison. How much they just get his cop? 33 years. But again, I'm against the drug war. I I don't think I think all drugs should be legalized. And and that money uh, that is diverted to slave catching should be diverted to helping people who need help with their uh, substance abuse problems. Johanna, you awful quiet, man. I don't mean to be running on tonight, man. I don't know what's gotten into me. Hmm. No, no, I'm here.
4: I had to uh, step away for just a second. We had a little something going on at the house, but, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, Most of what we're seeing, and we've talked about it on this program, um, I think we heard from some of these people that have been incarcerated and studied it, you know, firsthand, that we're looking at possibly 70% or higher of all these people. That are incarcerated, you know, in America Are are some kind of way Basically there for nonviolent or drug-related offenses And we know that they've escalated the drug laws To include all sorts of things To be interpreted as violence So they can justify, you know, lengthening sentences and so forth So I agree, I mean, uh, prohibition is really the issue So the drug war is never going to be you know the answer, but like like you said, also the inequality, the inequity in, in the sentencing and, and what this guy did. We've talked about people on this program that got life sentences for having a you know a twenty bag of weed or something. I mean, just I mean I don't know. It just what can you say? This is it's slavery. It's a slave system. Slave catchers. The whole thing. It's never going to be right or equitable or justice or anything. We just got to hold on till we get enough people. Like uh, Max always says. Uh, uh, critical Mass the next, the next story guys Is going to make your heads explode
3: You gonna you might put a hat on right now To keep your head intact Because it's probably going to make your head explode um, I don't know if people heard it Or have read it yet But you know Dylan Roof The uh, white supremacist Who killed nine people here in South Carolina Where I'm at uh, In a church <laughs> excuse me, And assassinated a state senator His attorneys have asked for his case to be dismissed, but let me tell you what they're doing. In court documents filed Tuesdays, attorneys argue the case should not be left to state authorities saying the federal government does not have the constitutional authority to prosecute him under the commerce clause and the 13th amendment, which makes slavery illegal. They also argue the case violates the due process clause of the fifth amendment. They're basically saying that they're using the 13th Amendment To free Dylan Roof Because he's being turned into a slave And facing the death penalty So all of this We talk about wait, 13th wait, Amendment wait, wait, hold Amendment The first up. time you hear it Is to rescue a man who killed Nine Black people including Assassinating a state senator Wait a minute Where is this being reported at? Uh, this is being reported From WISTV uh, 10, Channel 10 News. Dylan Roos' attorney asks federal court to dismiss charges.
0: And he cites the 13th Amendment because we had to be careful, man.
3: You know, earlier, I read it verbatim from the news report. But when I'm, I'm saying, now, no, I'm talking meeting, about.
0: That the news report. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, check that website and make sure that it's not. One of them spoof sites, one of them fake news sites.
3: You know what? You may be right because I've been gotten once before here on New Abolitionist Radio. I just believed something was real. Yeah, they have they, got yeah. Make
4: these false news websites.
3: Yeah, they make them look real
0: elaborate, man. You know
4: that's yeah. real morbid, though, man. If they, if somebody was making a joke out of that, that's super morbid. That ain't like I, I just yeah. I just put the page on New
3: Abolitionist Radio. Take a look at it for yourself and tell me. If this is some false
4: news report I mean, or I, I looked something. at it when you had it on the planning page I thought it was real Yeah like it's, it's, it's just, because like it's it's just so morbid Yeah it's just so morbid I couldn't imagine that it would be I just couldn't even think of it as being some kind of a joke But I mean what he said is what the news story What the news article says uh, They even I mean, got a list of real. the entire thing here Where it said the uh, um, The uh,
3: documents that the lawyers provided 34 pages is listed here you could scroll through them all that's a lot to do if you're faking something yeah I'm going to have to check because
0: that website sound familiar to me man but uh, it, it, again it, uh, my wife said this is Columbia News this is our Columbia. local news station it doesn't yeah, look like, yeah, it doesn't look, I think it. it's real. I think it is real, too. The way that you can check, though, just for people information, because they got Dave today uh, with a story about Guccifer, uh being found dead in jail, and it wasn't true. So these pages do have about us and, 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 and stuff like that. And so I went to their about page, and they are a real website. Dang, man, this is crazy. You gotta be kidding me. They Have they been listening to our program? Because nobody else talks about the 13th Amendment like we do.
4: The Commerce Clause. I told you
0: to make your head
3: explode. You're already going, what the hell? Is this real? this, This can't be real. Exactly, dude. The first time the 13th Amendment is used to fight a case in court for slavery. It's used again for in the favor of a white supremacist who murdered nine people. Nine black no people. Real websites. In a
0: historic church yes. that uh, was burned people, down yeah. at one time because of the rebellion of Denmark Vesey and Gullah Jack. And, and those people who was going to participate in that Charleston uprising and uh, get a ship and make their way to Haiti. Yeah, That's that church. That's the church. So, man... I'm trying to... It, it, what is it in the, the documents? Because I see they have... Okay, the defendant... The 13th Amendment and the 13th Amendment, which makes slavery illegal. Man. Uh-huh. I'm
3: trying to tell oh, you. Oh, my goodness. It makes my head blow up. Put your head up.
0: <laughs> yeah, it makes my head blow up because we've been arguing this for years. That why aren't defense attorneys... We got all these legal scholars... Whether they be black, white, whatever, man, uh, uh, you know, ACLU and all that. That's why I'm suspect of groups like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then now here's the argument that we've been arguing for three years, and it's being used to defend a uh, uh, some poor white trashy wanna be white supremacist who's a racist, no doubt. But he ain't nothing supreme about him, cause he, uh, you know, he was making he was caught in the county that I live in. All right, uh, well, by uh, uh, he was spotted by a woman in the county, and these are the poor white people I be talking about on my program, man. I might have spotted a Dylan Roof today at the gas station when you know I'm there putting gas in the uh, in my uh, little container for the for the um, for the lawnmower, and I already seen this dirty this you know the white boy was dirty. You know, no shirt on, jeans on, and stuff like looking all wild and being all loud and whatnot. So I'm pumping my gas, and then it's like he come from around the pump like right up behind me and yells like he yelling at his friend. And it made me stand up quite quickly, man. You know what I'm saying? It kind of startled me. And so I watched this dude, and and that's what I I swear to you, I don't lie to people, that's what I thought about with Dylan I was like there's a Dylan Roof type that's a Dylan Roof waiting know, to happen right there I live around I these type of people type. man and for them ain't to ain't use it tight. to defend one Roof of these
3: down the street from me man. When the morning that he uh, went to go kill people he left them right down the street from me this is, Here in this South is sick
0: it's sick it's sick but the only what's the silver lining in this that if it gets any national attention which I doubt it will because they don't want to let people know that slavery was never abolished but wait a minute wait a minute they got it confused they got it backwards they say the commerce clause in the 13th amendment which makes slavery illegal oh they wrong and the judge (laughs) okay now I, I understand now I got it right So the judge, we're going to get a ruling. Is slavery legal or illegal according to the 13th Amendment? I'm so glad and happy they filed this, this ridiculous defense for the silver lining. A court is being asked if slavery is legal or not. That's basically if we break it down and get the emotionalism out of it and there's plenty to be emotional about and be upset about but when we break it down and get right down to it, we have a court being asked if slavery is legal or not according to the 13th Amendment. Am I reading that right, Johanna? Your thoughts?
4: Um I I think so. I've just been thinking like reading it and just trying to wrap my mind around it. I just been thinking like you said that it will get more attention number one but i take every opportunity to look at everything that comes across as being something that potentially could be personal because we've been so vocal for so many years and we've seen changes that have come you know through the narrative and through society at large i mean for me, seeing uh, Bernie Sanders this last year with the ending private prisons, the justice is not for sale bill, that was a big thing to me. To see different attorneys and different professors and different people writing books and you know basically saying exactly what we're saying here, or whatever. I mean, so these kind of things, like something like this, I, I just was sitting there thinking about how like it just feels personal, almost like, I like you said, see it, it, I know it, you, see it. you know, the the one of the greatest. I mean, this is, uh, this is our Oklahoma City as black people, you know? This is this is our, uh, whatever, the Orlando nightclub shooting. I mean, this was specifically aimed at black folks and a particular kind of black people at a specific historic monument to end slavery. I mean, every ingredient you could put in it, and uh, with a sitting politician. I mean, all of these things are just a part of it, and to see this brought up in this case is so specific. Um, I hear what you're saying I mean one way or another we're going to get some kind of a judicial ruling everything Scotty was just saying
3: The wow. truth is Dylan Roof is now a slave He will be put to work for pennies on the dollar if he's given a job at all He will experience all the abuse and all the terror that every black person who's been arrested experiences there as well He's going to go through the whole nine yards He's going to be the property of the state the so Solitary to confinement scenario yeah, to use it. As an example
0: Yeah, he is going to see his attorneys is wrong. A judge will have to read the 13th Amendment because it's specifically brought up and they will have to make a ruling on whether or not the 13th Amendment outlawed or made slavery illegal. Of course, if you read the 13th Amendment and got a 12th grade reading comprehension, at least. You would know that it has a big exception clause. We could just, I almost got it memorized. It's slavery and involuntary servitude shall be abolished except for punishment of crime wherefore a party has been duly convicted by a jury of their peers. That's what it says verbatim. It is legal. It's legal. So a judge would have to write that in his opinion. He would have to cite facts of law. You know what I'm saying? How they issue the opinions and whatnot. And, And so I don't know. They probably can dismiss it and not even issue an opinion on it. You know
3: what I'm saying I'm not sure about We're that. We need our loyal friends, Brother Youssef, out there listening, the uh, Black Attorneys Guild, all these loyal friends, to do some homework and look into this issue, and tell us just how significant this can possibly be, and how can we use this for our own momentum.
4: I'm just sitting here, mind blown, man. The, the way things work out, <laughs> like wow. That that would even be mentioned, that that would even be mentioned in this particular case out of thousands and thousands untold numbers of cases that are significant in their own individual way, but something this egregious, I mean, damn, I, I don't know, we'll see. I mean, I'm
0: not going to say he deserves slavery, but I have no sympathy for him. But he's a person who belongs in prison until we can figure out something more humane than the prison. But I don't have any sympathy for him. He finna suffer all the tortures. He already suffering the tortures that slaves went through with the solitary confinement. That stuff drives you crazy, man. You know what I'm saying? The isolation and all of that, and then the threats, and he probably can't even walk down a cell block without being spit on or somebody throwing something at him and, and threatening him. So he finna go through what people, you know, who were enslaved have have gone through He unless he becomes the – uh, let me keep my. Can we say bitch on air? Unless he becomes the bitch of some white supremacist, muscle bound, you know, cellmate or something like that, the girlfriend. You know what I'm saying? And that's the only way, but still, that's slavery too, because now you're being raped. You know what I'm saying? You got to be raped and, and, and allow a person to violate you for safety and whatnot. Uh, how many black men and women have had to do that? you know so it, man this is so deep it's an emotional thing because of just how the historical um significance of where this happened and the its connection to slavery you know well not to slavery but to the resistance of slavery and then for the 13th amendment to be brought up in this fashion but I don't, this sounds kind of cliche but they say God work in mysterious ways do they not Johanna mm-hmm.
3: oh wow I just hope it doesn't go over people's heads like I said we need our attorneys out there to get to work start looking at what they're doing in this case maybe the attorneys handling the case have ulterior motives we don't even know it might be their motive to bring the 13th amendment out and use this case in order to uh, show how slavery is continued. I'm mean, i not making any assumptions so we need some attorneys to look into this yeah but I don't see how how that helps him
0: I don't see how Hmm? that helps to defend him in a a capital murder case though that strategy but But I'm I'm glad I'm glad they asked it though I'm glad they asked it it's in the court filings now now the court's got to answer
3: well, we are coming up on our break now, Scotty, uh, and we've got at least one more story. Of course, we've got to talk about Alton Sterling. So I want to save some time for that and then get into our uh, final segments. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. We're discussing modern day slavery and human trafficking, and we will be right back after these messages.
4: Hey, welcome to hiphopfilmfestivalnyc.com, the official home of the Hip Hop Film Festival NYC. I'm Ralph McDaniels of Video Music Box, and my partner Charlotte Capers of Revolution Media have put this film festival together for all you hip hop lovers, filmmakers, web series designers. Whatever it is that you do, we want to see it. So let's get busy.
0: You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com.
3: Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, We're going to get into the story about Alton Sterling. There's a lot of information coming out on this, including a brand new video that uh, shows he never pulled any gun on anyone. And also a witness who has testified on video That he saw the police leave the scene Go to the car Get a gun (laughs) Come back and put it down next to the body Uh, All of these uh, videos are available Or we'll make them available on New Abolitionist Radio Johanna or Scotty If either one of you can grab them And start putting them up So people can start seeing this Before this information disappears Um, We have Hold on
0: for a second, there's something going on here. Scott, can you manage this for a second? Sure, sure. So uh what's the next story that we wanna um talk about, and you and Well,
4: uh as he was saying with the with the situation uh, you know, going on in Baton Rouge right now, I mean, with this brother in in, in another murder. I posted a Dylan Roof uh Just so you know the police are outside my house. I'm gonna handle this to see what's going on. All right. All right. Keep us posted, brother. Man, I tell you, it's, like, just busy. Um, But, yeah, with that story, and as Max said, new news coming out constantly on it. Of course, I'm reminded of uh, Walter Scott, you know. So, really, they kind of contaminated themselves in every kind of case where it's their word of saying somebody had a weapon because we saw on, on the video you know, uh, right then and there on the scene, that he walked over to the man and, and put a, a gun by him, and he had a black co-conspirator cop right there with him. So
0: right, right. But listen, though, check this out, though, your honey. My thoughts are: so what if he had a gun? Some of us, you know, some. I mean, if he didn't pull the gun out, if he didn't threaten nobody with the gun, all I saw, I saw him standing there, Reminded me of Eric Gardner. I saw him standing mm-hmm. there, uh, one cop on his left. One cop looked like he then snuck around to his right, like he flanked him. And then, just out of nowhere, man, just tackled this dude, took him down to the ground. The other cop got on top of him, uh, one on his chest. So we got two, he's on the ground. He reminds me of Eric Gardner lying in that same position, you know um but uh but they didn't put him in the chokehold the cop on his chest pulled his gun out and pointed it straight at the man's head that's what i saw that's the i have, may not i may have been seeing an edited version uh, but then the camera, like it went down, and I didn't have the audio up, man. And uh, but I heard like the, the woman who was filming it or whoever was in the car started screaming when when they shot the dude. So uh, earlier, Sister B.J. said they shot him in the chest, but I had heard they shot him in the head, man. Um, mm-hmm. But the last I read, the governor. Um, I forget his last name, but he said he saw the video and he's pretty disturbed by what he said. and, And the whole FBI then jumped into it now off Bat Street and uh, the local prosecutor said he's going to stand down and let the feds investigate it so um, people have been out in the streets local NAACP branch as well as you know people uh, just live in the community young people old people just outraged they are saying the whole community is outraged but uh, it just reminded me so much of of Eric Gardner man Uh, he was maybe a little younger than Eric Gardner I think Eric Gardner was in his 50s And, uh, but I think this, uh, Sterling was in his, uh, 40s, I believe, or third, late 30s, something. Late 30s, yeah. Late 30s and and what have you. So, I mean, that cop, man, you, that also reminded me of Oscar Grant, where the cop tried to say, I thought I was pulling out my taser, you know, and not my gun, and then just shot him in the back, man. But that dude looked like it was deliberate. And just to wrap up my comments, um, Um, Also, I was reading from the, you know, comments from the NAACP saying that uh, that county, uh, those police have a long history of brutalizing black people. You know, just one atrocious act of slave catching uh, uh, where they end up killing the person, um, um, you know, got caught and went viral. You know what I'm saying? But uh, all of stuff that's not, you know been caught on video and and put out there to see so yeah man just tragic
4: yeah well the uh, state of louisiana is an open carry state so i mean that's just the gun law uh traditional open carry state the state they have complete state preemption of firearms laws with the exception of laws that were put in in place prior to the passage of preemption uh as in july 15 1985 uh open carry of firearms in Louisiana is permitted without permit as long as the user is of at least 17 years of age and legally able to possess a firearm under state and federal law um, so I mean for whatever it's worth just like in all of these cases I mean Tamir Rice same thing John Crawford same thing You know, Tamir Rice had a toy, John Crawford had a toy But the state of of Ohio and where they were at within the state In both cases were places where if Tamir Rice we know was 12 But as the person that called him in, that swatted him As the term goes, swatting someone, calling the police And and telling them it's a terrorist threat So knowing that they will respond with the SWAT team And and likely kill the person uh, The person that swatted Tamir Rice said he looked like a grown man so if it was a grown man in broad daylight in a in a public park with an open carry firearm in a state where open carry is, is allowed, then why would you roll up on him and basically try to run him over with the car and then gun him down in two seconds? John Crawford, if he's in a store where people post pictures on, of themselves in Target, Walmart, Applebee's, Chili's, wherever, walking around with, with uh, automatic rifles, semi-automatic rifles and so forth strapped over their shoulders because it's an open carry state, then why would you you know, show up to the scene and immediately blast the man and he ain't even touching the gun. It's it's hanging over his shoulder and he puts his hands up. You see on the video it says it's not real. Brrr, he's dead. So the same thing with this. I mean, whatever they thought, if they saw the gun or thought it was a gun, if it was a gun even there, you know, and and I and I I think that's just why I'm the way I am about this story. It's just I'm at a I'm at a tipping point, man. I'm just at a tipping point with it. You know, all of it has been enough. We all came through our curve of learning and experiencing this and then connecting it to, you know, I remember connecting these stories when I started paying attention a little more closely to, uh, you know, like with Trayvon. Of course, I grew up with, you know, Amadou Diallo and, you know, before that, or Sean Bell, and before that, you know, cases throughout the late 80s and 90s. And, you know, you would hear these, Johnny Gamage and you would hear these different names, and it would be, you know, either citizens, uh, the young girl that got killed before Rodney King, before the riot went out on out there in L.A., the young girl that was in the Korean store that got shot by the lady with an with a apple juice in her hand. I mean, these kind of things, you start connecting it to the NAACP hanging that banner out of their New York City office, saying this, you know, another lynching today is showing the numbers of lynchings going on across the country that they, as best they could count them. And he's connected to what's going on right now. And then all these murders that have occurred in the last several years and knowing numbers like one every 28 hours and knowing, you know, that it's even worse than that now and the high profile and the age of technology and videos okay. and all of this stuff, all of this stuff going on, I'm at a tipping point, man. At this point, I don't expect anything different. I don't expect it to be different. I don't expect to see brothers and sisters not being murdered. I just don't expect it anymore.
3: Hey, I'm back, by the way. Uh, tonight's events will be a story for next week. We'll leave it at that, time being. <laughs> Too many times the cops show up in my window while I'm on air with new abolitionist radio. So I will tell you what happened next week. There's some parts of this story, Johanna and Scotty, that are very unnerving, uh, the one is the video that came out from the witness who said they saw this cop leave the scene, go get a gun, bring it back. And then another video has surfaced as a Wednesday on this website, which shows the cop pulling the gun out of his pocket after he had shot him to emphasize the point that there was no gun in nobody's hand and they were holding him down. Personally, all I know is I saw another snuff film where cops kneeled on a black man and shot him point-blank range to death. Could have shot him in the arm, could have shot him in the leg, but that's not what happened. His knee was in his chest, and he fired point-blank down at him and killed him on video. For all of us, all our children, all the people in the churches, all the people in the schools to see another snuff film of a murder by a policeman in The prison capital of America Yes that's what they call Louisiana the prison capital of America Where all these parishes Have their own little private kingdoms Called jails Where they're using the people of those communities For profit A place where 80% of the people In prison are African American Well there you have my, my rant about this thing It's upsetting I just, I'm just, i just tired of watching our children or our young men and women die on video And nobody's doing anything about it They keep treating it like it's individual circumstances Like isolated incidences Like this is just a special case When we had just special cases Something like 115 times this year
4: More than that <clears throat> Because I remember finding out when uh, the 2012 Operation Ghetto Storm report was being put together by uh, Malcolm X Grassroots Movement. Um, I remember speaking with Sister Arlene Aysen about how a lot of their research had to do with following up on people who were shot. See, they get out of reporting on all of the numbers of people that they kill by not reporting them as, as killed by the police officer if they survived the trip to the hospital. Now, that's dirty as hell. The cops shot the person. The cops ran the person over. The cops strangled the person damn near to death. The the cops did whatever they did to them. But if they survive until they get to the hospital, then it becomes they died of something else, and they don't have to report that, you know, through the media, or they don't have to report that as, you know, a typical there on the scene. They killed that person, but their report was going deeper into the records of who, Made it to the hospital and then what happened to them after that And so that's how they were, came to that one every 28 hours Because they were including people who had been in the hospital Whether it was for days, weeks, months I mean you may make it until next year And a coma didn't die Well you still, the cops still killed them So it's more than a hundred and something and Plus the people that they ain't found their bodies Plus the people that, you know, all the other conspiracy Or whatever you can go into There's hundreds and possibly thousands of people Being murdered by the police Year in, year out Institutional,
3: And it's happening over and over again And I'm just tired of it I, And I hope other people are tired of it I hope we're tired to the point Not where we turn off the TV Or flip past the video And go I don't want to watch another one But tired of that we act And do something Whatever your talents are Whatever blessings you have To make them useful In ending this system of slavery And human trafficking That kind of tired if you're at the point where you're just going to ignore it, then you might as well join the other side. Join the other team, the team of slavers, because ignorance is a choice, and it's a choice to not do something. Well, Amen. we're coming up with 15 minutes left in the, uh, on air, and we have two segments left to do. We're going to talk more about this Alton Sterling case over the coming weeks, I guarantee you.
4: You there, Max? Is he still with us?
0: Okay.
2: Well, uh,
4: he he may, I don't know, he may come back in. Um, at any rate, we can go uh, to the, the rider, because it's uh, a little bit past a quarter, quarter till, so I know we got to wrap up. So we got the rider, uh, the 21st Century Underground Railroad, and then after that, the uh, final segment uh, beyond, you know, our final comments, of course, being the uh, abolitionists and profile, so... <clears throat> the, uh, the writer is William Richards, and, uh, this is coming from the, uh, University of Michigan, uh, Law, uh, Law Department National, uh, Registry of Exonerations, which, you know, there are several of these websites that, you know, can kind of tie into the Innocence Project or, you know, have their own individual, you know, uh, more local or regional, um, Innocence projects so to speak, going on And they and they will report on these, so this is a pretty Good website for people to go to as well uh, William Richards um, Shortly before midnight on August 10, 1993, 43-year-old William Richards came home from work and discovered The body of his 40-year-old wife, Pamela She had been severely beaten Apparently with fist-sized rocks, a cinder Block, and a stepping stone on the property Where they lived in Mojave Desert, California Richards became a suspect immediately Because the couple had been having financial And marital, uh, marital Difficulties. They both had sexual relationships outside their marriage, and a month earlier, Richards had drawn up a document proposing a division of their property. An autopsy showed that Pamela had been strangled and her skull had been smashed. Blood was found inside the couple's camper as well as near a generator outside. Police confiscated Richards' clothing, which bore only three tiny dots of blood spatter and what appeared to be blood transferred when Richards Richards cradled his his wife's head after he found her body. Nearly a month later, he was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. He went to trial four times in San Bernardino County Superior Court before he was convicted. The first trial resulted in a mistrial when the jury was unable to reach a unanimous verdict. The second trial ended in a mistrial during jury selection. The third trial resulted in a mistrial when the jury again was unable to reach a unanimous verdict. Ten days before the fourth trial began in August 97, the San Bernardino Bernardino County District Attorney's Office asked Dr. Norman Sperber, a dentist and forensic odontologist sorry, to examine a photograph taken during Pamela's autopsy that showed a crescent-shaped lesion on Pamela's right hand. At the trial, Dr. Sperber told the jury that based on his more than 40 years of examining bite marks, he could say that out of 100 people, only one or two or less, <laughs> less than one person, would have the same unique feature in their lower teeth that he found in Richards' teeth. Dr. Sperver testified that Richards had made that bite mark on Pamela's hand. Prosecution also presented evidence that blue cotton fibers found in a crack in one of Pamela's fingernails were similar in composition to fibers that the shirt Richards was wearing. The analyst who performed the comparison admitted, however, that such cotton fibers were among the most common fibers in the world. The defense presented uh, evidence showing that Richards clocked out of work at 11.03 on the night of Pamela's body was found, even driving 75 miles an hour. The defense investigator testified that he did not arrive at the Richards property until 11.47. It was a distance of 44.8 miles from where he worked. Evidence showed that Richards answered a telephone call at the property at 11.55 and told the caller that he had just found his wife's body. Richards called 9.11 at at 11.58 Uh, The defense argued that Richards could not have committed the crime during such a brief interval of time. Pamela's brother said he spoke with Pamela by telephone around 7 or 7.30, and she seemed normal, although although she said that she and Richards had been arguing earlier. Another witness testified that he called the residence just before 10 p.m., and no one answered. Dr. Gregory Golden, a dentist and chief odontologist for San Bernardino County, testified that the bite mark evidence was of no value because the bite mark was generic in nature, and the photograph was of low quality. Dr. Golden conceded on cross-examination, however, that the unique feature of Richard's lower teeth could only be found in a small number of people. A senior criminalist with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department examined the bloodstains on Richard's clothes and performed numerous experiments with concrete blocks and bloodied hair. He concluded that given the lack of spatter on Richard's clothing, that no, I don't think this clothing is consistent with this individual being the perpetrator. So they just kept trying to make this man... I mean, this is when you're doing a disservice to the public around because there's a murderer running around and you're not even trying to catch him. You're trying to use all your resources to put the person you picked and said was the one to make them prove that they're not the one. And the person that did this is out here running around probably killing other people, which is what we see every time and why I don't tend to read these segments because it makes my blood boil. On uh, December two, or in 2001, the California Innocence Project at California Western School of Law began reinvestigating the case. In 07, a state petition for a writ of habeas corpus was filed on behalf of Richards. The petition claimed the test on the cinder block used to smash Pamela's skull identified a male DNA that was not Richards. DNA testing on hair from under Pamela's fingernails also excluded Richards. Moreover, the autopsy photograph depicting the alleged bite mark was examined and determined to be distorted. Once the distortion was corrected, defense bite mark experts concluded that Richards was not responsible for the bite mark. I mean, this is your life held up on all of this. You're going to go to jail forever or could be capital executed by the state based on all of this flaw? Wow. Um so he didn't even do the bite mark. It was it was all he's all out. He said none of this is right. Finally Dr. Sperber, the first one that tried to get him on the bite mark, recanted his trial testimony that only one or two percent of the population had his dental irregularity. These percentages were based on my own experience and were not scientifically accurate, he said, in an affidavit uh for the petition. Wow. So finally, at the conclusion of an evidentiary hearing in 2009, San Bernardino County Superior Court Judge Brian McCarville vacated Richard's conviction, saying the evidence pointed unerringly to innocence. Prosecution appealed the ruling in 2012. Wow. And the California Supreme Court, by a four-to-three vote, reversed the trial's court ruling because Spurrier's recantation did not fit the state's legal de- definition of false evidence. Damn. In response, to, so they. In response to the California Legislature, a 2014 Act uh, called a bill, Richards' bill, amended the state criminal code to state that false evidence should also include opinions of experts that have either been repudiated by the expert or originally provided the opinion at hearing or trial that have been undermined by later scientific research. All of this, I'll put the link up because we're running out of time, but at any rate, Richards was released from prison on June 21, 2016. And on June 28, 2016, San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office dismissed the charge. Wow. Salute, man. Salute. You made it out. Damn. It's hardcore out here, man. It's really hardcore out here. It's... Wow. They did everything they could again and again for 20 years to just keep putting this guy in there. So I don't know who actually did it, but that person... uh, was out here for an additional 20 years, likely, because nobody was looking for him. So, anyway, salute, salute. Um, Scotty, are we, uh, are, am I on? Can y'all hear me? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Are we doing the, uh, we could do the abolitionist and profile next. Yeah. You got the music. Uh, let me make sure I got you know, it. it. Is, uh, is Max back? I, I, I'm here, but I'm, I think that you have a shut off that goes on automatically, uh, Scotty.
3: Cause I call in about fifteen minutes early and listen to the show prior, and uh, fifteen minutes before the end of the show, I get cut off. So I think maybe there's a, no, like a there's no, going
0: no. On. no, that it would dump everybody on the board. So something going on uh, on your end, bro, on that line, because it would affect everybody. There's no shut off. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, it seems to happen to me every week. In, in any case, uh, I'll take care of the uh, abolitionist profile this week. Uh, we've only got a few minutes, so I'm going to try to rush through this.
0: Well, All no, right, you ain't you... got to rush through it. I mean, <laughs> we, we go a little bit over, but um, yeah, man. Uh, let me cue up some music, man. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of right. off tonight trying to get these um, reports out. Hold up, hold up. I don't like that
3: This week's abolitionist in profile is Elijah Parrish Lovejoy, 1802-1837, a native of Albion, Maine, was murdered in Alton, Illinois, by a pro-slavery mob on November 7, 1837, while defending his right to promote the abolition of slavery in the United States. His activity in support of abolition had been prominently on display in two local forums. The first was in his work as a Presbyterian minister, a graduate of Waterville Colby College and Princeton Theological Seminary. Lovejoy was ordained in St. Louis, Missouri in 1834. In Missouri, he began and denounce slavery from his pulpit and his newspaper. After a mob destroyed his printing press, he moved to Alton, Illinois. In Alton, he led the College Avenue Presbyterian Church, and started a newspaper called the Alton Observer, which regularly featured his anti-slavery columns. He became a highly visible target for pro-slavery advocates Lovejoy's violent death and the man himself Have been majestically characterized in a number of different ways Including First Battle of the Civil War Abolition's Martyr A Martyr to Freedom of the Press And Champion of Freedom For the African American and the Press in his biography of Lovejoy, former US Senator and from Illinois Paul Simon wrote that Lovejoy was a man whose death would electrify the nation. It has also been claimed that the singular events that most hastened onset of the Civil War were John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry and Lovejoy's martyrdom. These are pretty strong claims for a man of relative obscurity today, which is such importance attached, why is such importance attached to Lovejoy? First and foremost, he made the ultimate sacrifice in giving his life in support of abolition. He can also be seen as a hero in defense of publishing unpopular opinion, and his death occurred during an attempt to protect his printing machine during a fourth attack by mobs. However, publishing was only one of the means Lovejoy used to promote the ideals of human dignity and freedom. Second, Lovejoy's death happened fairly early in the history of the abolitionist movement. Advocating the immediate abolition of slavery in the United States was gaining momentum during the 1830s as anti-slavery groups organized and started spreading their inspired word. Lovejoy's killing was a harbinger of violent things to come and the personal commitment that would be required to hasten the end of slavery and we here at new abolitionist radio salute you elijah paris Lovejoy.
0: salute most certainly salute man and again i just can't keep uh, stressing enough uh how important propaganda is in any kind of warfare and the there is a war to end slavery there's a war to keep slave it's two sides on a battlefield people who want to keep slavery in place and people who want to end slavery and um we have seen all throughout the early abolitionist history in this country of pro- uh of newspapers Uh, playing a big role in pushing our abolitionist propaganda and so that's why what we do I feel like what we do is so important man you know I'm more committed to this program New Abolitionist Radio than I am to any program including the one I've been doing for since in some under some different name um, since 2007 but that's BTR News you know I look forward to doing this program than any other program man because this is a propaganda war alright and this man was killed because of of, of his, his uh, value in the war in spreading the ideals of freedom true freedom and abolitionism man so propaganda is very important and I just want to give a thank you to all those who throughout the years have supported the propaganda operations of the Black Talk Media Project thank you
3: Indeed Was that your closing statements for the evening? Yes
0: Yes it will Uh, be
4: uh, Brother Johanna. We got two minutes left Man I feel like I've said it all before Peace to the abolitionists And death to these oppressors Because if you don't bring death to them You see they just going to keep bringing death to you
3: I hear your sentiments on that brother Um, I guess I'll close Keeping it simple ISIS didn't kill Alton Sterling and toss a gun or bring a gun near his body to claim he was armed. Your terrorism is not my terrorism. You're afraid of ghosts, and for our children's sake, we're afraid of you. And we know that abolition is a reason for a revolution, so we can finally know some peace. Peace.
1: Rise up, rise up! Just lift your eyes up.
2: If his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the sea spill over And the mountains shake, break and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies Or deep, deep in perdition If our leaders are globally despised And always seem to rise through attrition or blatant nepotism If women and children have to live in impossible conditions if you have to die Due to someone else's damn decisions Rise up rise When up, innocent rise. citizens perish For all our sins sake If the future seems bleak And your soul's at stake Rise up When it appears that any hope left May already be lost If the price is your son Or your daughter's life And you refuse to pay the cost If you ever had to ask God Why in the thunder rolled, If you just once had to wonder Have we sold our souls Rise up For the life of an unborn child When the homeless are reviled And the masses are beguiled Rise up when our doctrines dictate That we all deal in debt When we stop giving more And we start caring less If the best we can do has already already been done If the battle isn't won And the fighting's just begun If If you you don't don't see none And know we really need one one. Rise Rise up Rise up Rise
1: up Rise up